Well, let me just start by, again, just welcoming you to Fellowship Church. If you are a guest with us, uh, we're, we're just thankful each week we have uh, people here who are here for the first time. And uh, our hope is always that you are just warmly welcomed, received, and blessed by being a part of our worship service. Uh, we are now moving into the time of, of the service where we preach and we teach the word of God. That is an important part of our gathering. And uh, we do that because this is what God has called us uh, to do. And we believe that uh, it is faithfulness on our part uh, to continue to uh, make his word known and to gather together as one body. Uh, to hear and, and respond to the word of God. We're studying the book of Acts. The series is Witnesses. And uh, today we're going to be looking at what it means to be a persevering gospel witness. Persevering gospel witness. And that word, persevering. I, I was looking it up and uh, it means uh, that it is, a, it is steady persistence in a course of action in spite of obstacles, difficulties, and discouragement. And, and so when you just stop and just take a look at that uh, definition, you can, you can see that in order to, to persevere, you, you need to persevere through something. You have to persist through an obstacle. You have to persist through discouragement, through difficulty, through some kind of of challenge. Even Yoda had something to say about perseverance. You can see that here. Do or do not. There is no try. There's so many of these perseverance posters uh, that are out there uh, encouraging us to, to not give up. So if I asked you at the beginning of this message, if I just said, how, how would you rate yourself on the persevering scale if, if there was one? How would you rate yourself when, when obstacles come, do you persist through them or does, or do the obstacles seem to derail you? Take, just make it so that you're not able to continue on. In our text today, Paul and Barnabas, we're going to see persevere through hardship, through real difficulty and trial. And, and it's, and, and it's important to note right in the beginning that the hardship is specifically due to their gospel witness. It's not just hardship. It's hardship due to their witness. So we're going to look at that. We're going to see what happened to them. We're going to see what hardship uh, they encountered. We're going to look at how they responded, where it resulted, and then, of course, what it is that we can learn and apply in our own lives from this. So, so let's pray and ask God to lead us to do what only God can do. Lord, this is your word your truth and we acknowledge even during this time in this service by by what we do by the act of preaching and listening what we're saying is the scriptures are the authority and we submit our lives to that help us to do that lord we need to be reminded of that weekly that's that's why we need to do this every week because it's very easy to forget and to allow other things to become the authority in our lives. So Lord, may your word guide us, direct us. May we submit ourselves to your word, to your truth. And may you do the work in us that only you can do. Give us ears to hear, hearts to understand, eyes to see. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. So we are in Acts chapter 14. You can turn there uh, in your Bibles if you, uh, if you have one with you. It's where we left off last week. And so we've just been walking through uh, this book. And, and we left off last week with Paul and Barnabas. Uh, they, they, were, they were trying, if you remember, trying to stop the Lystran people from offering pagan sacrifices to Greek gods uh, in their honor. So they were doing this to honor Paul and Barnabas, but it was obviously pagan and not something that uh, Paul and Barnabas wanted to participate in. And so they were trying to stop it. Uh, Luke tells us that they were almost unsuccessful in stopping this from happening. And then Luke tells us what happened next. And what we see in verse 19 is violent opposition to the gospel, not just opposition, but really violent Opposition, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. So, remember as we were going through this last week, sometime after, after Paul and Barnabas stopped uh, the pagan sacrifices from happening, Jews arrived in Lystra. Luke is our, is our writer, again, and he's telling us that these Jews came from Pisidian Antioch, which we've already looked at a couple chapters ago, and Iconium. And so they came from these other two cities and they show up in Lystra. Now you need to understand, Pisidian Antioch is a 100-mile journey. And Iconium is 20 miles. And these journeys were typically on foot. So these are very motivated people to make this trip for the very purpose of stopping the gospel. So the Jews that caused trouble, if you remember, these same Jews has caused, has caused, had caused trouble in uh, Pisidian Antioch. And also they had caused trouble in Iconium. Now they hear about what's going on in Lystra and they go and they persuade the crowds which remember are Gentile crowds now in Lystra, they persuade them to turn against Paul and to turn against Barnabas. And Luke gets right to it in his narrative and he tells us that they stoned Paul. This crowd, if you remember, they were ready to worship these guys just a few verses ago as gods. They wanted to sacrifice bulls to them because of the miracle that Paul had performed. And now they're preparing to murder them through violent means, stoning. Now Luke does make it clear that they are going to stone Paul, not Barnabas. Paul again was the main speaker. So he's, he's the one aggravating everybody by what he's saying. He's saying things that are offending them. And he's probably the one that's also vocalizing the need to repent. So he's telling them, you need to repent and they don't want to hear this. Now you also, you need to understand that stoning in the Bible was not like throwing little rocks at a target, you know, far away. Usually there were two ways that this occurred. One way was where you would take a person and just kind of throw them down a rocky cliff and then from the top of the cliff, you would try to throw down large rocks on them. Uh, and if, if you remember the story in Nazareth in the Gospels, uh, this is what 
the crowd in Nazareth wanted to do to Jesus after he testified in the synagogue. Remember, he made that testimony in the synagogue that, the, that today the, the scriptures have been fulfilled and he pointed to himself and they were like already ready to throw him off a cliff and throw rocks on top of him and end his ministry right there. And scripture tells us that it was not yet his time, but he was already offending people. The other way that they stoned people in the way that probably was used in this case uh, with Paul was to throw a person on the ground, circle around them. The crowd would circle around the person and they would throw and really almost drop uh, larger rocks on them. So it wasn't like a target practice. They were right there and it was, it was uh, very, very violent. Death would typically result due to blows to the chest or the head. And it was a horrible, terrible way to die. And this is what they did to, to Paul in Lystra. Now this account, we've worked our way through the book of Acts. So we remember not that long ago that Paul had done this to Stephen. And you have to wonder if, if that was actually going through, through Paul's mind. Stephen being the first martyr of the church, killed through stoning. And it was Saul of Tarsus who led that execution. And the people laid their garments at Saul's feet as a way to say... You're the one who brought this about. So you can imagine what a difference this is now for Paul. Notice that Luke tells us the people supposed he was dead. Luke seems to be telling us that they thought he was dead, but in fact he was not. Now some, there, there are some who do believe here that Paul, that Paul died here and was, and was raised back to life. I, I, I don't think that's the case. I think some, some thorough exegesis can make that very, very unlikely. Uh, first off, Luke makes, uh, makes a point uh, that they thought he was dead. He seems to be making that point that, that they actually thought he was dead, but he wasn't. Um, and, and the word that he used in the Greek that you see translated in your ESV translation as supposed that word appears several times in the New Testament. And when you look at that, just from a word study, you can see that that word, when it was used in other cases, was always referring to something not happening. So it would be like you telling a story. And every time you tell a story, you would say something uh, like, yeah, and he supposed that happened. And every time you use it that way, what you're really saying is he thought that, but that's not what happened. Also, the New Testament is very clear when people are raised to life after they've died. And Dorcas was an example, Eutychus in Acts chapter 20, which we're going to get to. And this account certainly does not do that. In fact, if that is the case, Luke seems to be confusing the matter. It's also unlikely that this is Paul's third heaven uh, experience because the dates for when that happened based on how we understand the writing of his letters really do not line up with his first missionary journey. So this just gives you a little background to some of uh, the exegetical questions that might arise. So let's pick back up in the story and see what happens next. And we see in verse 20 that they're going to persevere through trial. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. So the people, let's step back again. Luke, Luke is, a, is, is our writer and he's not telling us every detail. 
And, but you can, we, we kind of know based on what he's told us what happened here. So the people stone Paul. They drag his lifeless body out of the city so that he can be outside the city walls. Assuming he's dead or the city gates. He's most likely unconscious, bloody. He's clearly in need of medical attention. And then Luke tells us that the disciples... Now, when you read the Bible, it's, you see disciples all the time. And it's very easy to pass over that word and immediately think of the exact same thing every time you read it. It's not always referring to what we think. Every time you read disciples, do not think automatically of, oh, well, that must be Peter, James, John, you know, and the crew. That's clearly not the case here. But Luke tells us that the disciples again, are a part of this, as we see in verse 20. They gathered about him. Well, what disciples are these? Well, these are the, the, the disciples that were, were recently converted and responded positively to the message that Paul and Barnabas were preaching in Lystra. The ones who believed Paul and Barnabas. Can, can you imagine what these new disciples are thinking about Christianity at this point. So as Barnabas and these disciples gather around Paul, wondering what happened, what is God doing? This is our main guy here, Paul. He looks dead. Paul regains consciousness. Luke tells us, gets up and goes back into the city. It's not... What typically we would do, right? We would be like, get out of there. He goes back into the city. Paul is not easily deterred. Not easily discouraged. Not by a long shot. And then Luke tells us that the very next day, very next day, somehow Paul and Barnabas leave the city and make their way to Derby. That's only 60 miles on foot. Just a 60 mile walk after getting stoned and almost being dead on the ground. Nothing too hard for Paul. It really is amazing to see the kind of perseverance and persistence that Paul had in his witness for the gospel. And, and I do think that it does need to be an encouragement and an exhortation to us all of how easily sometimes we're ready to give up at, at the slightest thing that just doesn't go our way or the slightest uh, thing that affects us and is not, not making us feel the way that we want to feel. And just so you just stop and here you just see this persistence, this persevering. And then Luke tells us how Paul and Barnabas built up the church. Look at verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city, and now we're talking about Derby, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So let's follow along again what Luke is telling us. Paul and Barnabas now make this trip to Derby. They go there. They begin again to preach the gospel. As soon as they get there, they do what they always do. They preach the gospel. And then Luke tells us that many disciples were made. Not just converts, but disciples. They're, they're, they're teaching them. 
They're telling them the gospel and then they're teaching them about what it means to be a disciple. More gospel witnesses, even after almost getting killed. I mean, I just, I, I just wonder what stories Paul and Barnabas told these new believers in Derby. Think about it. He left the very next day. He shows up in Derby. He's preaching the gospel. Do you think he kind of looked like he had been rocks thrown at him the day before? Probably. Bruised. Cuts. Whatever. And then he's preaching the gospel. And you could imagine these people saying, well, what happened to you? Oh, well, I... I was stoned back in Lystra. They tried to kill me. Why? Well, because I was preaching the gospel. Oh, you mean the gospel that you want us to believe? The gospel you're telling us to believe in? And to, yeah, that same gospel. Oh, so if what happened to you, will that happen to us? It's quite likely. Would you believe? And it says many disciples were made in Derby. It's again, I think it's a revelation of just how the church and how the spread of the gospel is supposed to work and how over time we've, I think we've just lost touch with the scripture and have become so in touch with the culture that we forget that this is what it looked like. It, it was difficult. It was challenging. It was resisted. It was opposed for preaching the gospel. You can imagine. Yeah, this is what it's like being a witness for Jesus. Any of you interested? Raise your hand. (laughs) You know? Yet again, Luke tells us many disciples were made. These were not prosperity gospel disciples. He wasn't winning them with a prosperity gospel. He, he was sharing a testimony of what just happened to him. These, these are not therapeutic gospel disciples looking for Jesus to just be their therapy. Their, their, the therapy gospel is, uh, Jesus just makes me feel better. You know, the, the prosperity gospel is, Jesus does everything to make my life better. The social justice gospel, they're not social justice gospel disciples. They're not, they're not following Jesus uh, so, so that there could be some sort of a social revolution within their, within their, their city. They're, they, they're believing that they have a need to be saved from their sin and are recognizing this Jesus that Paul and Barnabas are talking about. They're starting to believe that he is who he says he is and therefore they must trust in him, give their lives to him and I guess see what happens next. So notice what they do after they leave Derby. Instead of going back home to Antioch where they were sent, from where we started this chapters ago, they went back to, to Lystra. They went back to where they just came from. They headed back into the persecution zone. Why did they do that? Think about it. Like you're thinking, you know, you may want to go home a different way, you know, or don't go back there. 
Paul wants to encourage the new believers. That's his heart. I want to encourage the new believers in the places that we just witnessed. So he goes back to Lystra. I don't know what that looked like, but I'm thinking it had to be somewhat covert because he's not very popular there. Then they went to Iconium where he was thrown out of the city. And some of those people left and followed him to Lystra to stone him. And then he went back to Pisidian Antioch where he was also thrown out. He goes back to these places. What is Paul doing in these cities that he's going back to? He is building up the church. He's building up the church. He doesn't go back to evangelize the masses. He really doesn't. He's not, he's not doing that. He's not, he's not holding crusades or anything. He's, he, he's, he's going to the people who have believed and to the churches that he's established and he's building them up. What we see here is that Paul is a church planter. He has planted churches in these cities. He understands the great commission as a commission from Christ to plant healthy churches, gospel churches, as a lasting witness to the gospel, to Christ in the communities, in Lystra, in Iconium, in Pisidian Antioch. Yeah, I got thrown out of there. Yeah, bad stuff happened, but there's a core of believers there. And I'm going to build them up. He understands gospel witness happening in community, in a community like these towns. And he sees it happening in and through Christ's local church. This is, this, this is I think, eye-opening for, uh, for some of us maybe. If the, because I don't know that we always see it this way. We, we see a lot of missionary work being very individualized. Uh, and not actually functioning and happening in and through Christ's church. But this is how Paul did it. If the gospel is going to spread in these cities, it's going to spread and happen through the witness of the local churches. Now, how, what were the ways that he built up these small new churches? Luke tells us they strengthened the souls of the disciples. Do you see that in verse 22? Strengthening the souls of the disciples. So what did they focus on there? They focused on the spiritual. They built up the souls of the disciples. They gave these disciples eternal food, not just temporal food, eternal. They were building up their souls that's what, that's, what, that's what continues to go on in, in, into eternity. They were, they, were, they were strengthening their souls. Their, their focus was the souls of their disciples. This is pastoral ministry. They have a pastor's heart here to, to, to do this, feeding the souls of believers. What a privilege that is. They were involved in that. Second, they encouraged the disciples to continue in the faith. Look at that in verse 22. Encouraging them to continue in the faith. So they strengthened their souls. And then they did something that again. Every pastor longs to do. Certainly my heart's desire. Is to encourage. Believers. To continue. In the faith. To encourage all of you. To continue in the faith. 
Why? Why would Paul have to do this? Why would Paul have to encourage believers to continue in the faith? Why is it necessary? Well, because again, these believers in Lystra, Iconium, and Pisidian Antioch, they know what happened to Paul. They know what happened to Barnabas. In in, in fact, Paul coming back was probably dangerous for them. They were probably like, why'd you come back here? You know, we were good. We were praying for you, but you coming back is going to attract a lot of attention that we don't need. But he's there. He's there to build them up, to tell them to continue in the faith. Paul, a missionary, is helping believers continue in the faith. And we see that missions is for believers too. How so? Well, because the heart, the the desire of this missionary church planter is not to just go back into the city and start new works. He goes back there to build up this core group of believers so that they can live out the gospel long after he's gone. These disciples know that Paul and Barnabas are talking to, they know that, they were th- that these guys were thrown out of each of these cities. They know that being a church in these cities is not going to be easy. How do you even do that? But Paul is saying to them, listen, even, even if they throw you out of the city, even, even if they want to stone you, if they want to kill you, they want to send people after you, here's what I'm here to tell you. Continue in the faith. Continue in the faith. And as your pastors, as your church, that is what we are here to do for all of you as well. To encourage you to continue in the faith. No matter what comes, it's not worth losing your soul. So why do we gather weekly? Because don't we need to be encouraged to continue in the faith every week? How many of you come, you know, by Sunday, you're like, no, I'm good for another couple weeks. I don't need that encouragement. Or are you coming up into Sunday going, I need this. And, and you're not, it's not, it's not wrong to need it. It's, it's part of how, how Christ has, has built his church. He's built us to gather to do this. So we need it. We absolutely need it. What was the message Paul had? So he encouraged them, strengthened their souls. What was the message that Luke tells us? We must be prepared to endure much hardship in order to enter the kingdom of God. We must be prepared to endure much hardship in order to enter the kingdom of God. Now imagine again that you are one of these new disciples in Lystra. Maybe you were there even looking at Paul. Maybe you were one of the ones that went outside the city and were looking at him laying on the ground lifeless. And you're thinking, this is what gospel witness looks like. And now here Paul is exhorting you. Be prepared to endure hardship in order to enter the kingdom of God. These new believers in Lystra, Iconium, and Pisidian Antioch, they were courageous believers. They encouraged me. Reading this, I don't, there, there's no names. I don't, I don't have names. I don't know, you know, who, who some of these are. We, we, we know that, that Timothy 
was in Lystra. Um, and, and we know a little bit about Timothy's family. So he was, he's, a, he's a good example of, of, of the witness of the church coming out. But we don't know much about these people. But what we do know is they were courageous believers. They encouraged me. I hope they encourage you. The question that I think we need to ask ourselves is this. Are you prepared to endure hardship as a result of gospel witness? Not just hardship in general, which is largely due to sin in the world and in life. We, in, we deal with hardship and difficulty. That's simply the result of living on a fallen world with fallen uh, bodies and, and with sin all over. We, we see that. But this was not hardship due to their own sin. This was not hardship due to their own poor decisions. This was hardship because they were proclaiming the gospel of Jesus to a city that didn't want to hear it. And that's our call for each of us. That's what it means to be a witness. And then we see Luke tells us, he continues to go on, verse 23, he established biblical leadership in the local church. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So now what what did Paul and Barnabas do in these churches that they planted? Well, they appointed elders. We see a plurality here, more than one in every church. They establish what they're doing here is establishing establishing biblical leadership in each church. For a church to function in a biblical way, it must have biblical leadership. That's what what Paul and Barnabas are doing. They're establishing that right here. And, and, And Luke is telling us, it's qualified and called men to serve as pastors and lay elders in the church. And that's what they're doing. He made sure he left them with leaders to shepherd, oversee, teach, lead, pray for the church. And notice how Luke tells us that Paul and Barnabas knew who the elders should be. They prayed, they fasted, and God provided and made it known who they were. Prayed. Fasted, Lord, who should it be in Lystra? Who should it be in Iconium? Who should it be in Pisidian Antioch? Pray, fast. Okay, Lord, this one, this one, this one. And so what you see here are elders responding to being called by God to serve Christ's church through prayer and through fasting. They didn't make the decision based on how much time they had or extra time they made the decision based on is this what God has called me to do and if so I will serve Christ's church and I'm so thankful this this passage you can't you can't read it without it reminding me of just the the thanks and the gratitude I have for the pastors and the lay elders that we have here at fellowship the way they lead this church the way they pray for you, want to exhort you, encourage you. Um, I'm grateful and thankful for them. It's not an easy task. There is much that happens that you don't 
uh, you don't see, we certainly appreciate your prayers because there is resistance to the gospel. And as long as we continue to proclaim it, we will feel it. And we appreciate your prayers as we continue to do that. But I'm thankful for the way that God has provided in this church. And our church now, we're in the beginning stages of planting a church. And after much prayer, we've called a pastor to do that. That we plan to send in Jesus' name to shepherd the church, to make more disciples. And it's so encouraging to read a text like this and to think, well, this isn't our idea. This is, this is what God does. He, they didn't, we didn't come up with this. This is biblical. It, it is how we will continue to be a witness in the back mountain, the Wyoming Valley, and the world through this. And then we see that Paul and Barnabas are refreshed by the sending church. If you look at verses 24 through 28, you can follow the path that uh, Paul and Barnabas take. I, I, I put this map up here for you to see, and I know it's not that easy for you to see, but they leave Pisidian Antioch. So they, they, went, uh, they went from uh, Lystra, they went back to Iconium, and then they went up again, back to uh, Pisidian Antioch. They leave Pisidian Antioch, they go to the Pamphylia region, they go to Perga, they, they spend t- some time there, and then they go to the port city of Italia, and uh, I kind of have that marked there, and then they, they get on a boat and they set sail back to Antioch, and you can kind of see that arrow swinging back, and they're going back to the church that sent them. And what did they do when they went back to this church? What does Luke tell us? They gathered. The church at Antioch gathered. That's what the church does. The church gathers. Gathers together in person. And at that gathering, Paul and Barnabas declared all that God did. And I'm reading this And I'm thinking, oh, well, what are they doing here? Well, they're testifying to how God worked in the lives of these sent missionaries. And then I thought, well, that's what we're doing in May. So like a lot of the things that that we're doing, we're not, these aren't just ideas that we come up with. It's we're following a biblical pattern. So we'll have missionaries that we've sent that we support that will come back and they will share with the gathered body how God has been working. And the church will be built up by that. And if you miss it, you miss being part of that getting built up. They're going to gather here with us. We're going to declare that what God has done and how the Lord opened a door of faith to the people across the world. Do you notice that phrase? Look at that phrase uh, in your your Bibles. If you have an ESV, you're going to see that it's opened a door of faith in verse 27. I'm not sure what translation you have, but I was... That stopped me as I was reading this and I was thinking, okay, they're thanking the Lord for opening a door of faith to the Gentiles. What do you consider an open door? Or a closed door? Because getting thrown out of three cities and being stoned and left for dead may not be an open door in my view. We go, yeah, we had a great, God just was opening doors. In Pisidian Antioch, we got thrown out before we got killed. So, you know, so then we went to Iconium, didn't go well there, got thrown out there. Went to Lystra, they wanted to worship 
us and offer pagan bulls to us. We stopped that, but they didn't like that, so they stoned Paul. And But yeah, God was just opening doors all over the place. Like, we, we have a very different idea of, of what opening doors and, op- and closed doors look like. They were thanking the Lord for opening a door of faith to the Gentiles. Why? What, 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 what about this is an open door? Why does Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, write it this way? We need to understand this. We today in the church, we need to understand this because some believed and because the gospel witnesses were faithful. That's, that's what we need to understand. But some believed and the gospel witnesses were faithful to the Lord and to the gospel. Churches were established. Elders were appointed. Yes, there was trouble. Maybe the churches are small. Many did not believe, many resisted, there was opposition, but the Lord did bring Gentiles to faith. And for that, the people in Antioch, as they gather, they're grateful. And then Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch for some time, getting much needed refreshment from the believers there. It's amazing. As we walk through this, it's amazing to see the beginnings of the early church. And what we can learn from it. So let me give you just a, a few, a, a couple items, a couple truths to consider and apply from this text. And the first one is this. It's, it's, it's obvious. I think we've already covered it, but let me just make it more clear. We must realize that all faithful witnesses of Jesus Christ will endure some measure of trial due to gospel witness. The point that I want to make here is for you, each person that's here, to embrace something that's true. Faithful gospel witness will bring some measure of trial. If your goal is to avoid that and to change the message, adapt it. We talked last week about contextualizing, but keeping the integrity. If your goal is to avoid the trouble, so changing the message, that is a problem. And that can't happen within the church. But just knowing that as a believer, you just knowing that, praying about it, asking the Lord to help you be ready and prepared, it can help you endure when that comes. Second, we must endure trial and hardship with persevering faith. The reason that Paul and Barnabas were able to persevere through this difficulty, it's not just because they were tough guys. It's not because they were MMA fighters, you know, or because they would have been really great candidates on Survivor or, you know, some kind of reality show where you just deal with difficulty and survive. No, they endured because they had persevering faith. What is persevering faith? It is faith in Jesus that remains strong when things don't go your way. It is faith that remains strong when when you're afflicted and opposed. In other words, it is faith that is rooted in God's glory, not your prosperity. I want you to think about that. Persevering faith. Do I have it? What does it mean? Does your faith in Christ begin to fail when your prosperity declines? Do you see a relationship between the two? My prosperity is good. My faith is good. The prosperity in my life declines. My faith declines. 
Or does your faith remain strong when your prosperity declines? What is your faith tethered to? What is it, what is it wrapped around? Is it tethered to your prosperity and comfort? This, this, this photo here is a giant ship that is tethered to the dock with several ropes. You can kind of see that anchor wrapped around so that when the waves come or the wind blows or whatever happens, that ship remains where it's supposed to be. Does your faith waver and wane when your prosperity and comfort declines? And that prosperity could be defined in many different ways, whatever it is to you. Or is your faith tethered to the glory of God? And what that is, is as long as God is glorified and I can be faithful, my faith is strengthened. And we can encourage that in each other. That's what the church can do. We can help build each other up. That is persevering faith. So to what is your faith tethered? I want you to think about that. In this text, Paul and Barnabas encouraged, they encouraged these new disciples to continue in the faith. And I want to do the same today. I want to encourage you to continue in the faith. I want to encourage you to not let anything stand in the way of your faith in Christ. But perseverance means, as we already heard, that there are going to be obstacles. There are going to be hardships. They're going to impact our faith. Obstacles that the enemy is going to hope to use to weaken your faith. God knows the obstacle. He wants to use that to strengthen you. The enemy wants to use it to weaken your faith. To make you consider giving up, not persevering. So what I would like to do is pray for you today. I don't know what the obstacles are, and I don't need to. But there is, if there is something going on in your life right now, something that you believe is seeking to weaken your faith in the Lord, I would just like to pray for you. Pray for your soul to be strengthened. Pray for you to continue in the faith. Pray for you to have persevering faith. So right now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads where you're at, in the quiet. And even now in this moment, just ask God to do a work in you. Just quietly in your heart. And if you want prayer to continue in the faith, to persevere through whatever obstacle the enemy is throwing your way, then here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm just going to ask you to stand right where you are. Don't worry about anything else. This is just you saying, I want that prayer. It's your way of saying, Lord, my faith needs to be strengthened. My faith needs to be tethered to your glory, not my prosperity. There is something going on in my life that is seeking to weaken my faith in you. The Lord knows what it is. Just go ahead and stand. And I want to pray for your faith to be strengthened, for your soul to be strengthened, and for you to be able to continue in the faith. God knows. I don't. But I just want to pray for you as this text, we saw in this text, these pastors, these missionaries praying for the church. Lord God, each and every person that is standing here, you know what it is that is going on in their life. There is something specific that the enemy is using or wants to use to discourage them 
He wants to use it to keep them from continuing in the faith, from persevering. I pray right now, Lord, that you would strengthen their soul by the power of your Holy Spirit. That their souls would be strengthened as we see in your word here. That, Lord God, you would give them the the faith they need to continue in the faith even through the obstacle, Lord God. And that when the enemy comes with lies and with temptation to give up, to say that this following Jesus isn't working, this living out the gospel, being a witness isn't working, whatever it is, he says, Lord God, I pray that they'd be able to resist that. And they would be able to have their faith strengthened. So Lord, I pray for these saints, for these believers to continue in the faith. Be their strength, Lord God. Where they are weary, give them strength. Where, where, where they're in need of, 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 of knowing that they're loved and cared for, wrap your arms around them and let them know that you are here for them and that you can be trusted and that you are good. We thank you, God, for being a God that answers our prayers. In Jesus' name. With faith, we believe. Amen.